What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guests for this episode are Ryan Stock and Amberlynn Walker, the comedy daredevil duo. Was that too corny? Anyway, these folks are awesome. I met them at Magic Live for the first time. Two Canadians came down to America got a show in Vegas, and are doing amazing stuff. You may have seen them on America's Got Talent. Most famously, Amber shot Ryan in the neck with a flaming arrow. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about comedy, writing, performance of stunts and magic, how Ryan got started doing these crazy, weird, impossible things, and a little bit of Amber's background is magician and how women are viewed in the magic community this is a great episode these folks are awesome i've become pretty good friends with them and i highly recommend that you go see their comedy daredevil show at hooters in vegas one of our previous guests on the podcast nick defott is the opener for ryan and amberlynn's show in vegas and he's hilarious uh ryan and amber are hilarious the show is great and i i recommend that you go and see it if you haven't already follow us on all the social media channels Facebook.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast. Give us a like and Facebook.com slash A Sense of Mystery for Art of Magic. You can also follow us on Instagram at Magical Thinking Podcast and at Treasury of Wonder. Sign up for our newsletter so you can see all the cool new things we'll be releasing this holiday season and to stay up to date on the podcast and much, much more. This is a shorter episode. Uh, the audio was a little weird. So we cut it short. Also, it was Amberlynn's birthday, and they had some errands to run before the show that night. Regardless, it's a great episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Let me know what you think by emailing me at podcast at artofmagic.com. Get into the episode. Enjoy. Glorious. Great. Yeah? Yeah. Great. Busy. Yeah? Tired? Tired. Good. Show this is an early morning for you folks. This is early. This is like two. This is break it up. Is this like is this just a Vegas thing or is this for forever? This is what I do. I am forever. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Bites has created a uh, creative flow uh, around six a.m. Probably. Yeah. Stays up till around nine. Ten. Yeah, it eight. On the day. Well, only like six or seven. Like that, yeah. Yes. Works up. Is that? Why? I don't know. <laughs> That's when I come up with ideas. When did right. you start coming up with ideas? Because like, I'm always fascinated by how people figure out that they're creative or good at something, and it usually is like very young, something happens that they realize it's, or become inspired. No, it's what I've always done. I started in magic when I was five, so I mean, just that boring story of a magic kit for Christmas, isn't that? It's That's all pretty generic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, I mean, for, I got it too. Yeah, except for... What he would do is he would order something from a magic uh, catalog and figure out and build a prototype before it came in the mail. So he normally knew how everything was done before it no, showed up. Well, not until I was like 10, 11, 12. You know, he'd order online. Yeah. I don't remember a company called Perfect Magic. I don't no. know if still around. That's a Canadian thing. It's a Canadian thing, but they ship everywhere. Yeah, I, order it and then just sit there and think, how is it done? You know, you read the the um, the write-up for the trick and it tells you what it's not. No strings, no magnets, no wires. You're going, well, what is it then? Yeah. So then you got three weeks to wait for it to come in the mail. Wow, Canadian <laughs> Postal Service is slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you just, uh, a lot of the time I have it built before it got there. Yeah. Or at least a version of it. 
That's right. I think that's what. Sometimes it was completely different, but mm-hmm. you came up with a new method. Then. Right. Which I think is probably why it helps to you know make helps to make tricks now if I'm coming up with ideas. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I guess an idea comes first. People come and go like, "Hey, I want to do this." That's the easiest way to build something. Yeah. Do you build much stuff for other people? Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, I, I design. I mean, I uh, I mean, I release tricks through Penguin Magic. I've got a few there, and uh, and then uh, through other people. Yeah, different TV specials and stuff. My tricks have been on. Cool. Like yeah. what? <laughs> We're not in a hurry, so feel free to elaborate. <laughs> Sure. Um, I've done some writing uh, for companies that, like with uh, Jonathan Goodwin. Uh, Aaron Crow. Aaron Crow has got some of my stuff. Um, like He's got a trick. Um, I came up with a, a way to um, hold your hand over a candle for as long as you want. How period of time. <laughs> right. Um, Justin Flom's show has got uh, a lot of stuff that Amber and I have written uh, and designed, built for him. Everything from, like, um, he's got a routine where... Uh, he feeds an audience member thread and then cuts it out of them. Uh, it's kind of a mix between a psychic surgery and a Yogi thread pull, and that's uh, something we've designed and he does in the show. Um, also, I've heard about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Uh, and also uh, in his shows, that uh, I designed a trick with a lamp, and uh, you can actually uh, put your fingers into the light socket and then have electricity flow through your body and. Light torches off your tongue, off your hands, light light bulbs off of yourself, electrocute the audience member themselves all while having your fingers inside the socket. So that's, that's cool. That's part of his show right now. And Justin Plum's the only one who's got one of those. Yeah. How did you get into the stunts and stuff? So I was doing magic. The stupid human tricks. Right. Stunts, stupid human tricks, whatever you want to call them. I was doing magic since I was young, obviously. And I had, um, by the time I was 12, I was doing a dove act. And, uh, as you, and, yeah, <laughs> as you do, as you do, ropes, doves, silks, and then, uh, and then I got, um, I got a book for Christmas when I was like fourteen, uh, and it was my parents bought it for me. How to eat fire. Your and, parents bought you a book called How to Eat Fire. Correct. Not only that, they well, did they flip, love you. Yeah, <laughs> they, they also flipped through the book enough to learn that they would I would need um, metal rods and lighter fluid and uh, wicking, wicking, and all that stuff. So they bought that as well, and they put it all into a package. <laughs> like, like here you go. And then he would learn in the living room. So they would let me practice eating fire in the living room. They also yeah. hooked him up with uh, Barnum and Bailey. Uh, clown who did fire and had a personal lesson at 14. Right. So, so then I was also at the time I was juggling, um, in my show, I was doing some fire juggling stuff like that. So it just kind of fit in. I started fire eating in my magic show. And then, uh, and then I started researching more on it. I learned how to eat glass. I learned the human blockhead just from books and any research I could find. I learned how to swallow swords and all these things were kind of adding to my magic show. So it's like, Swallowing swords plus Professor Cheers comedy rope trick or whatever. <laughs> and then after a while, there was, you know, it was like weird stuff in my magic show. Then it became, there was a little bit of magic in my weird show. And yeah. then kind of just got rid of magic entirely. In the show. So it kind of happened organically, I guess. By the time I was 18, I mean, well, 17, 18, I was working uh, bars, nightclubs in Canada. So, and then I, when you're doing these drunken bar shows, you realize... People don't necessarily want to see so handkerchief magic and stuff like that as much as they want to see you spit fire 
ram a sword down your throat, something yeah. like that. Now he says that's the first things that got him into the stun stuff, but when he was really young, he used to swallow and cough up pennies with his mother. That's true. And uh, swallow long things of thread, and then they braced to pull it out. <laughs> so your mom's also broken. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess. I'm She's, just kidding. She can swallow, uh, swallow things, pennies and stuff, bring them back up, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Did but, you ever get into, like, spouting? Uh, yeah, I do spouting as well. Um, I don't usually do it on stage, but, but I can. I can swallow um, I can swallow water, uh, smoke, bring that back up individually, lighter fluid, um, like... Uh, Butane. Yeah. Golf balls, pool balls. Yeah. Well, so I just am fascinated by this because I clearly don't like to be dirty. <laughs> I don't like to be in danger. I've said before, and I will say again, I'm basically an old man. I will sit in the room and drink scotch by myself, <laughs> happily. Right. I don't understand how you're still in one piece. <laughs> because, like, I... <laughs> it's, it's an easy answer. He's invincible. Yeah. Okay. Everything, I mean, everything is... I mean, it's, it is dangerous, but it's perceived danger, and it's, it's learned carefully. I mean, yeah. there, there, of course there are things. I mean, if something goes wrong in certain stunts in the show, yeah, I mean, I could, I could get hurt, I could die, but... But, I mean, it's perceived danger. I mean, you look at the fact of, like, I mean, Penn Jillette does a bit about that with fire juggling, where the worst thing that can happen is this, and he catches the wrong end of it, and then mm -hmm. drops it on the floor, and he's fine, because not as dangerous as it looks. But yeah. So there is some element of that in the sense that it's practice, it's well-rehearsed, it's, it's not, I'm not just putting myself out there taking a huge risk. I'm not, sure. I'm not jumping out of a plane every day. Sure. I'm yeah. carefully swallowing a sword, I'm balancing a chainsaw on my face, so balancing a lawnmower, but, I mean... Practiced and yeah, have contingency plans if something were to go wrong. Sure. And if you look at the uh, the people in our genre of entertainment, uh, they just go for it, and that's where injuries happen. We research things uh, with physics, doctors, everything we can because we're about the longevity of our career, not the uh, instant gratification. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. How do you then like carefully learn how to do something that's absurd? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it depends. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to learn to swallow a sword, obviously you don't take a sword, you jam it down your throat. You start with fingers, rubber tubing, stuff like that, something safer, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something safer to, to jam down your throat. I mean, back in the um, old school, like carnival days, a lot of the time it would be uh, an extension cord mm -hmm. doubled over on itself and you're just shoving that down your throat. Okay, until, cool. Until you learn. Right, not comfortable at all, but, uh, but after a while you, you learn to just... Get over it, right? Yeah. So that's like that would be an example of carefully learning. And I mean, I guess like saying if you're going to learn how to juggle chainsaws, I mean, you shouldn't start with a chainsaw. Yeah, <laughs> certainly shouldn't start with a running chainsaw. Typically in our shows, yeah. Typically in our shows, we don't have injuries at all. Yeah. Very rarely does that happen. It's when we're learning. <laughs> it's the process of learning. Sometimes uh -huh. there's blood in the show. Well, it's not injury. That's just a <laughs> just a little color. <laughs> <laughs> what a great spin. <laughs> um. I think the worst injury you've ever had was in the backyard when you decided you wanted to learn to throw knives on your feet. Show related, I suppose. Not yeah. like TV show or stunt related. Yeah. But yeah. I, uh, I was practicing knife throwing and I had these big buck knives and I thought it would be really cool to be able to throw around Amber with my foot. There was actually an old um, armless circus performer who would throw knives with his feet. And so I was like, okay. I took off my shoe and sock and I put the knife between my uh, toes upside down and I brought my foot back. But I kind of lost grip of the knife, and it fell as I came forward, and I kicked the buck knife through my foot. All right. Into the bottom, out the top. 
Yeah. A normal person's reaction is, ah, oh, hospital, freak out, not good. I was downstairs. Ryan hobbled downstairs, leaving bloody footprints, boiled a needle and thread, stitched it up, went back outside. It first. You, you didn't. You cleaned it first. But. It's fine. It's fine. There's barely even a scar now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> How long have you two known each other? How did that start? We met 16? Two, 16 years almost. No, 15 years. Oh. 2001. Yeah. Uh, Ryan found me in an alley dressed as a fairy crying. All right. Well, let's hear that story. Cool. Um, Ryan found me in a back alley. I'm not interested in that. Why were you in a fairy costume crying? Uh, well, I was in a fairy costume because I was doing balloon animals dressed as a fairy. It was yeah. at a festival. And the Edmonton Fringe Festival. You were crying because you were doing balloon animals. No. no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. I feel so bad about that. It's, oh, no. I'm a, you can't offend me. I wasn't offending you. I'm offending listeners who do balloon animals. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I got broken up with actually. Oh, okay. uh, four and a half year relationship. He mm. broke up with me. He said I was holding his career back. And uh, we were at a festival that was not in the town we were from. Yeah. First time going away out of town. And so, yeah, I was in an alley crying because of that. And yeah. Ryan came up. He's like, Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I hired her. Was yeah. he the funnel cake guy? I thought he was like, You're just holding me back. And so. <laughs> <laughs> Magician, actually. Ah. Do we know him? Um. I no. don't think so. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ryan says smartly. How much time do you spend at Boston Pizza in Calgary? Ryan! This is a good Eat shit, random dude. No, we're good friends with him now. Um, <laughs> I know. I don't know what we're talking about, so nothing that I say can be taken seriously. <laughs> That's why she's laughing. Right on. You know, no, he's a, he's, a, he's a good friend. Um, best thing for both of us was probably the breakup. I found Ryan, and... He found you. Well, he, yeah, it's true. He found me. Mm-hmm. Um, I found her. I hired her. Yeah, as, a, as an assistant. Um, I was like, I need an assistant. Yeah, what would happen was I was doing this new bit where I was getting chained up, and I was letting an audience member wrap my face in uh, cling wrap, like saran wrap, but the audience member was really, really bad at it. <laughs> it was a new bit. So, uh, so I hired her. Her job originally was to just wrap my face in saran wrap, like trying to suffocate me yeah. on stage. And that's what she was hired for. So mostly I was just trying to sleep with her. So you just <laughs> <laughs> Should I like to point out it didn't happen for a month. <laughs> a month. Good for you. Um, so how many times over the course of your fifteen year relationship have you failed at killing him? <laughs> failed at killing him? Because I mean, just just ballpark it since since rapid, since trying to suffocate him with saran wrap. Well, like by accident, or no. like on, oh, on purpose. It's impossible, impossible to handle. Like how many times has she done? Like I mean, oh, every night she's tens of thousands of times. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you consider. I mean, I guess swinging sledgehammers at me to wrapping my face in cling wrap to setting off a four foot mouse trap on the back of your neck. Yeah, um, <laughs> lots of stuff. Lots, lots of times. Thousands and thousands of times. Cool. So, Amber, what is it like to manage someone that you routinely try to hurt? Eviscerate. Uh, it's great, actually. I think uh, we work really well together. So, business yeah. and, and stuff I deal with and uh, creative things, too. Sure. And Ryan's, he's got the stage stuff down, clearly. Yeah. Um, so, whatever I lack in, he's great at. And whatever he lacks in, I'm great at. So, yeah. as a team, we work really well together. It's, it's a lot of fun, uh, finding creative ways to 
um, market uh, this kind of thing is different because you know, the the word sideshow is a little dirty. Yeah, we don't use the word. We don't use the word sideshow. Variety? Is that no, variety is even dirty. Or is it? I don't know. Uh, Look at me. I don't know. It's, so that's why it's almost as dirty as burlesque. That that word. We don't call it either. I don't even honestly. I don't even like to take bookings like that. Are like, hey, we'd like to hire a sword swallower or a magician. I like to get hired. Hey, we want Ryan stuff at the event. No. Right on. So that's what, that's really. I mean, the ultimate goal should be for any entertainer. I think. Yeah. It's and so I mean, the shows they're not here to come to a side show. It's Ryan stuff, comedy daredevil is the show. Mm-hmm. Comedy daredevil. It didn't that's start like that. Obviously, when we were younger, we did the sideshow thing. We did the uh, gothic dress, that kind of thing. But then we went. Uh, we want a larger demographic. We want to hit more people. So um, we have to change what we're doing to make it more palatable for a larger demographic. Sure. We yeah. we really need to add comedy, so like the top forty crowd or or the older crowd can appreciate this. At, at a time when we were only doing tattoo festivals and. Uh, Events like uh, super niche stuff, yeah, and like you know, going Halloween events, stuff like that, uh, working at piercing and suspension community type things. So the acts are getting grosser, weirder, more extreme because that's what those people see. But yeah. now, like, we're working at like Hooters Hotel and Casino right now, which is a weird demographic in the sense they're, they're older, it's kind of blue collar, and they haven't seen this stuff. So it's actually, even no matter how disturbing it is to them, this is a really softened version of our show. Like, it's they feel like, holy shit, this is insane. But really, we're like, we toned it down. <laughs> Put the kid gloves on. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, pairing the weird creepy with uh, comedy is really great because you have it's that nice tension release. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you, and you have that build up of creepy, like, oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I, I feel kind of sick. And then. <laughs> yeah, people don't use so. that often inside show. The tension release, the tension is there already, and that's all a joke is. Is you're building up a moment, then release. Whereas, yeah, they're about to swallow a sword, and then a simple line like, "Is you're sliding it down and missed," like, boom. And the, those moments hit so much harder because I mean, they're they're already ready for that for that release of a joke, right? So they they fit naturally together. People just don't use them together very often, I think. Yeah. We're also diverse entertainers, too. We don't just do sideshow. We'll do magic. We'll do juggling. We'll do all all we want. More entertainers of a bunch of different skill sets that we like to incorporate into our show. Yeah. So I guess our show is kind of like a variety show all in one, just without a lot of other performers. <laughs> so what is the not dirty word to call what you guys do? Comedy stunt show? Comedy stunt show. Entertainment. Okay. I mean, if you have to really explain it, yep, it's a comedy stunt show. That's, that's so it. We uh, came up with the tagline, the evil Knievel of comedy. Yeah. Which is, I think, pretty indicative of what we do because it is, cra- uh, it is crazy dangerous, but it is funny. So Yeah. And, and a, a lot of people come to our show and they're like, oh, you said comedy, but we didn't expect it to be this funny. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, probably... <laughs> Because a lot of people that use the word comedy when they're describing what they do aren't funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. I'm a comedy There's magician. Okay. Especially in magic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you go to a comedy magic show and that's, that's what you're going to get. Hold out your hand. Not that one. The clean <laughs> one. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Jokes that came with the routine. Mm-hmm. And we also have The word pattern even. This is kind of a weird word. Isn't it? Who says that other than magicians? Pattern. From 60 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how do you then write your show? What kind of, what what are your inspirations for writing, comedy writing specifically? 
Um, I would say ninety percent of the jokes that are in the show are situational. They're not. They're not jokey jokes. They're not. They're not like set up punch. They're. They're all situational. They, they've found their way into the show over years of doing it. Um, it just kind of started becoming funny after doing it in bars and maybe an audience member yelling something out and that working into the show or um, I think that's how they all get ready. Situational or sometimes maybe just having a drink out on the porch I and mean, sitting with Nick on the porch and then and just Jonathan too. amazing Jonathan and then get an idea and then, you know, trying it out. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but... <laughs> Have you ever kept something that the audience didn't like as far as the joke is concerned because you loved it? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I do. Uh, and then it's always Amber going, that joke isn't even hitting. And I'm like, I don't care. It's funny. Yeah. Right, the main thing is is our show is not scripted. It's uh, essentially lined out, but we're performing for the audience. Yeah. And we're not just running through a script. If someone reacts a certain way, we go to that uh, I think that's really important with a performer. It's a living, breathing show. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a, we're not talking at the audience. We're talking to them. Mm-hmm. You see with, that them. Mm-hmm. with them, even. Yeah. yeah. You see that a lot. I mean, I'm not even talking at them, yelling at them. And you see a lot of shows, and all they're doing is yelling at a blank space, and that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> How big is your room? Just out of curiosity. Um, the the little plaque says 240. I would I, guess I would around 200. That, I would say 240, way too much in there. It's um. <laughs> Like, um, yeah, it's a nice setup of the room because it's like you can put a couple hundred people in there. I would say uh, probably between 150 and 200 could be able to see. Um, but the way it's set up is nice because in a Vegas room, it's hard to sell tickets sometimes. So if you only sell uh, 60 to 100 tickets that night, there's kind of a lower level that you can put in tables in the middle. Feel like, you know, it's still a full room. Whereas yeah. if you do sell more, you can move people to the upper level. And you can fit them in, so it's kind of nice that way. It's really, um, it's versatile. It's a room we've actually been looking at for uh, two years. I mean, um, hypnotist. We know Kevin Lapine used to be in that room, and uh, we, at the time we were at the MGM. We were living at the MGM. We were working uh, the Beecher's Madhouse show, and we would wander over to Hooters. We kind of look at that showroom and go, well, "I like this room. I think we could make it work here." We prefer an intimate room. Uh, two hundred is a great number. Over that. Uh, you lose that connection that you have with your audience. Um, when you have a small room like 200 people, you can really connect even with people in the back row. Yes, I mean, a lot of people are surprised here. I hate doing like stadium shows and stuff. I mean, it's not about the fact that there's like, it's not a nervous fact of performing for thousands of people, it's that they don't care when, you're, when there's that many of them. All they're doing is screaming. They have the safety of a mob. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All they're doing is just screaming. And then it's like, can't really tell jokes. There's no real time for timing, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, comedians, of course, do it, but I mean, I've never been to a stadium show of a comic. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they're doing it. It probably feels really weird to do. Kevin Hart just did that huge stadium, like football stadium, fifty-three thousand people, and I can't imagine. It can't like, feel good. Like, I mean, people can't be hearing it well. I mean, it's, I'm sure it looks it looks great when they filmed it and put it on TV afterwards, but. It's like it watching TV good. when you're in the back, right? Yeah. Like, there's no point. Except for echoey, tinny TV. Like, yeah. and like... <laughs> the, the, like, the laugh is much longer because the way the sound moves. Like, the, people, <laughs> the people in the bleachers way up at the top are, like, getting the joke 30 seconds later. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
Well, that makes perfect sense. I totally understand wanting a, a small audience, wanting to connect with those people, especially because you are doing so much tension and release. Mm -hmm. You really have to be able to play that audience. Right. Yeah. And we've done the big stadiums. Uh, like we used to tour at the Jim Rose Circus, and that is hit them fast, hit them hard, run, like run like you're being chased mm -hmm. performance, and thousands of people. And it's just, it's not as satisfying, not what we're looking for. Yeah. But especially, I mean, like some of the stuff, if I'm doing stuff with, you know, say a mousetrap or a, like a butterfly knife or something like that. I mean, that's dwarfed on such a big environment like that. And sure, you can do screens, you can do stuff like that, but it's nice to have that, you know, an ability for everybody to see it. Yeah. Well, the screen deadens it. You're removing that layer, and so the tension is automatically... You can still build it up, but there's a plateau that you will reach that wouldn't be there in a small live in quotes well they're watching tv that's what they're doing in the big audiences and that's we, we're in live performance because that's what we love to do we've done tv we've done a lot of tv we've had our own series in canada and it's fun but it's not our first love mm. no <laughs> no <laughs> no tv's boring yeah so hurry up and wait lots, sit around lots sit around. that's it but you did get to experience a bunch of things that you wouldn't have otherwise, like a fighter jet you got to fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did a TV show in Canada called Guinea Pig. Did three seasons of it and did dumb shit. That's it. Just um, fighter jets, weapons, stuff like that. Um, dumb shit. <laughs> For three seasons. It was great. I mean, it was our own Discovery Channel show. And it, if you can make three seasons of that, that's good. I mean, U.S. didn't want to buy it. They bought one season, but they were like, Canadians. You eh. sound so Canadian. <laughs> so how did you guys end up in Vegas? We came back and forth a lot. We used to open up for Amazing Jonathan and do uh, an event called Fright Dome and then little guest spots. So we'd come down a few years, um, a few times a year yeah. uh, for about 10 years. And then we were in Canada and we decided to sit down and say, where do we want to be? What do we want to do? Yeah. And the end goal was a show in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So we sold our warehouse and everything in it, got rid of everything, toured for a year and a half straight in Canada, and then just drove down here with nothing. Like literally no job, no prospects, walked into Vegas and everybody was laughing at the, us. They're like, you're not, it, you can't just walk in here and work. And within a week we moved into the MGM and had a 10 month contract there. Which was nice because we, you know, we were rolling it down. I mean, we didn't have a ton of money saved up. We had some money, and uh, it was like, yeah, we go into budget suites. I don't know if you're familiar with budget suites, but it's like it's one of those monthly rental hotel kind of things that are just gross. Yeah. Like all the crack and domestic violence you could want in a, yeah. in a parking lot. Like, Every performer has lived <laughs> in them at one point here in Vegas. Yeah. And so we get that, we rent it for a week, and we're like, okay, we'll just rent week by week, see what happens. And yeah, and within three days, we go into um, Beecher's Madhouse and book a meeting, and have, they don't have a great reputation, really, at the time. I mean, they, like the performers have had problems with them and stuff, and we went into the meeting, and they said, so, have you heard good things? And we said, no. no. And they said, well, what are you doing here? And we said, you need us. And they're like, oh, okay. And they, just, they hired us. And then we lived there for 10 months. So, <laughs> we did four shows a night in their show. Um, so four sets. Uh, it ended up being 
hired in for like one set and there was a bunch of other performers and slowly they kind of got rid of some of the performers and we just started doing more sets in there. So, um, fun, easy gig. Never had a problem with them. Three minutes at a time on stage, do music, MC does all the talking. Super easy. We got a little too comfortable there. Yeah, well, it was easy. Not what we like to do. Obviously, Ryan likes to talk on stage, do his thing. Um, but you get comfortable when you're... It's cushy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's cushy. Yeah. <laughs> How did the show change from, you know... I mean, obviously, there are going to be changes between the touring show and the show that you were doing now. Mm-hmm. What are some of those changes, and how did you decide how to build the show? We started hanging out with a lot of comedians. Good. Tell me about it. I don't know your... Well, we, we were doing the sideshow, the Jim Rose Circus stuff, and mm-hmm. then we essentially just started going to comedy clubs, doing a few little things, and hanging out with a lot of comedians in Canada, and we're like, this is... I'm not sure that's how that changed the show right now. Oh. When the show's been, um, <laughs> like, it's been, that's the way that we've been doing the comedy bait show and at comedy clubs for years. The show that we're doing right now versus the touring show is it's pretty similar. Um, Pinch, which touring show because we have three theater shows um we have one called sick which is sick sick <laughs> uh, it just progressively gets more disgusting um fun fun yep still a little funny but more gross mm-hmm. um and then we had mayhem that had another performer in it uh the world's fast contortionist um weird uh and then comedy daredevil which which is the show we're doing right now. Which is, yeah, the touring version, I guess, um, we didn't, like the show we can do right now, it's, um, we get to use props like uh, like a lawnmower, things like that, which I mean, we weren't really traveling with our lawnmower before uh, because just space and we're touring in a car or a little minivan, um, sometimes living in it when we're on the road. So, so I guess we get to use more props and stuff. We also um, ran our own lights and sounds our sound for the touring show and then now we have a light and sound guy so that frees us up to do more things in the show because we don't have to hit play and yeah yeah that's nice to have nice to have lighting cues nice to have i mean when you're just running your own lights on a foot pedal and running your own sound off of your belt it's bare minimum but here it's more production or you can also make a big mess here they don't like to do that in like nightclubs bars clubs. we leave like people come to the show that we're doing here, and it's uh, it, we just destroy the stage. I mean, the place is destroyed after Chaos. pounds and pounds of confetti and toilet paper and cinder blocks and spoons, what, spoons and spoons. junk just everywhere strewn about. Clothes, the costume changes. I just if I do a costume change, then the clothes just are tossed under the stage. Everything's just everywhere. That's why we want it to look at the end. Yeah. I want to come in and it's kind of neat and tidy and everything's put away. And then at the end, it's just like a teenager's bedroom. Like, everything's everywhere. Which, I think that's the way a show should look. I mean, you're not, you're not supposed to make a mess like that. So that's why it's fun to watch somebody make a mess like that. <laughs> well, I mean, of course it fits. That's the context. I mean, you're not supposed to do any of this stuff that you do. <laughs> and so it totally makes sense that you would trash a room as the show progresses. Right. It's contextually right. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think we, as we continue to write the show, because we, I mean, we're only in week um, three of doing this show, so as it progresses, I want to get even crazier and messier and weirder as we write the show. I and mean, we've done a different show, essentially, uh, every week so far. I mean, it's constantly changing. I mean, while we're adding things, taking things away, light cues, um, jokes, anything like that. I mean, 
we're constantly changing it. So, I mean, tonight's show even is going to be different than the last show that we did. Yeah. yeah. How do you expect it to change as you do a longer run? I mostly, I mean, we want to see it. Um, we want to see it really tighten up, and we want to find. Um, I don't know. I guess we got to find the balance. We got to learn the crowds here. I mean, there's sometimes it goes a little far for them, so you have to figure out how to how to get away with that. Yeah. Uh, and we have learned that. But I mean, in the first couple of shows, uh, we're not in the brokers yet, so the room gets papered. You get people who get tickets through deals and company, and they don't know what they're coming to. You get a 65 year old couple who got free tickets to a show called Comedy Daredevil and walk into the room, and you know. Suddenly, I'm doing something like putting hooks in my face or in my eyes or something like that, and they'll leave, like, middle of the show. You're like, oh, we're out. And so you have to really find a way to hold those people, even though they don't feel like this is the type of show they want to see. You have to make them want to see that. So, and the funny thing is, is you think that everybody would have a problem with hooks in the eyes, but everybody has their own thing that creeps them out. Like, yeah. And it's funny to talk to the audiences afterwards and be like, which one is the one that got you? Because it's different. What's the most common one? Eyes. Anything yeah. to do with the eyes. I put hooks in my eyes. People don't. That's, that's a big one. And from um, our show, Sick, my ankles is the one that... Mm-hmm. I don't even like the sound of that. Yeah. The eyes thing is not freaking me out. You said my ankles and I turned off. I was like, nope, I don't want to know what that is. Well, have you seen Misery? No. Okay. So do you know what hobbling is? No. Okay, so imagine me in high heels, okay. sledgehammer to the ankle. No! <laughs> We're done here. And which is funny, I mean, everybody's got their thing, because, like, I know, like, oh, our uh, director of our room, um, Brian, hates the uh, five-finger fillet. Like, I do a version of, you know, knife around the fingers. I saw it at Jonathan's house. Like, right. And it's, it's the version that I do uh, in the show, and, like, for this one guy, Brian, who runs the, sh- the manages the showroom, Cannot watch that. Like nothing else in the show bothers him, but that. It does. Just, that does happen to bother a lot of magicians, though, and I think that's the hands thing. I didn't, didn't bother me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that guy's dumb. Because <laughs> we hadn't met yet, I was like, who's this fucker? <laughs> the no, stomach pumping too. That bothers people, but it's not in our stage show. What does? Stomach pumping. Stomach pumping. Yeah. So we pour a bunch of liquids into Ryan. He yeah. Like, through um. For some uh, beer bomb. A beer you know, bomb. Bomb. Yeah, right, yeah. I swallow the tube of the beer bomb. Sure. Just a funnel sticking out of my yeah. mouth. And then we pour in like pictures of like weird liquids. Beer and sometimes I take drinks from the crowd and just mix them together and basket yeah. sauce and stuff and like that. And then he pulls that out and he swallows a faucet and turns the faucet on and it just pours out. Then huh. we uh we offer it up to the audience to drink. So we pour glasses of it and then audience members come up to drink it and we have a whole ending with very nice um, moment in the theater show touching. actually a very touching moment while drinking vomit it's this whole <laughs> this whole thing of, uh, this whole speech about <laughs> sometimes um, an optimist would usually say the glass is half full and I say that depends what the glass is full of and sometimes in life your glass is full of shit and there's nothing you can do about that so I think tonight we can all optimistically say our glasses are half empty and it's this whole nice moment where we then all drink the, well not all, people who are brave enough in the crowd to come up and drink the, there's the sometimes vomit. there's not enough vomit to go around, to be honest. It's really People weird. are like, there's no way that people come up and drink that. Like, every time, yes. Every, every time. time. 
Nobody I, else. I would, I would take a sip. Yeah. I don't think I would drink like the full amount. I don't. I wouldn't do a shot of your bile, but I might. I would sip it. Because like. That is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Come on. We, we don't do yeah. that at, at Hooters. I mean, that's um, yeah, Hooters is a restaurant. <laughs> we do that. That's part of our theater show, Sick. That's actually how the show closes. It's, oh, okay. It's with that moment. So. Wow. Yeah. Won't get a chance tonight. <laughs> nope. Well, you never know. Maybe might you, uh, be an if he gets drunk enough. <laughs> it is your birthday. It is my birthday. So, yeah, I think I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding you to it, though. You're going to have to drink some vomit if uh, it happens. If he vomits, I'll, I'll drink some. <laughs> good, good, good. Great. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Weird if things. that happens, I'll have to put in the intro. I drank Brian's vomit. Yeah. We'll take pictures. Tangy. Tangy. Well, it depends. You can actually tell what he's eaten that day because it changes sure the flavor. I can imagine. Well, we, I mean, we have friends who have drinking it like two hundred times. And there used to be a wow. different version of it. It was originally created by a guy named Matt the Duke Crowley, and I started doing the, that version on the Jim Rose tour. But when you're doing that, you actually can't eat it all all day, which is really terrible. So yeah. basically, when people do come up to drink it, they're only drinking what went in and out. But the way I do it now, I can eat it's fine. So <laughs> great, yeah. So just a little chunkier. Mm, wonderful. <laughs> You're agreeing to this? No. no. <laughs> I'm not doing the thing in the show. Okay, okay. You keep saying like I'm doing it. Oh, I know you're not. I don't think Hooters would like that. Probably not. I don't think our producers would like it. Enjoy either. our 21 sauces <laughs> yeah. after watching this show. Yeah. Or maybe you could take all 21 sauces. I would just have the same thought. Yeah. Oh, we'll this is how drink, bits are written. Just drink all the sauces. <laughs> And uh, and then just don't vomit them up because Hooters is lovely and they provided these sauces to you and you have to support the yeah okay so uh, <laughs> oh tell me about the sixth sense oh the sixth sense we we both have um, magnetic implants so uh, it's uh, why so for, well for magic I mean you can do um, no 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 what was that like what was the thought how did it start okay so it, they've been around for a, a long time it's uh. Created, I think Steve Hayworth was one of the first, or the first to do it as a body mod guy, and he came up with an idea that if you had a neodymium magnet implanted under your skin, you would you would be able to have like a sixth sense. You'd be able to uh, sense various metals, electromagnetic fields, things like that. And um, so he designed ones that were uh, the magnets coated in silicone. And uh, we both got one of those. How long ago? Ten years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. And uh, they're not as strong. And then uh, they come up with a, a stronger version of it, and we ended up getting that. So um, we have magnets in both of our hands, and we wanted to get it for, for magic. So, yeah. And Essentially, uh, anything a PK ring does, my finger can do. Yeah. With some modification yeah. on it. I mean, it is a small mag magnet. It's, uh, it's strong. I mean, I don't know if I have a... You have a thing. I saw you, you do it with a key last night. Yeah, so if you, but if you take something bigger, like, see how it actually pulls? Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> That's and amazing. I have thinner fingers, so mine is actually... <laughs> you can actually see it pull around it? and move underneath the skin. So it's, um, there's quite a strong uh, magnet, actually. And, yeah. Uh, and it does, it gives you a sixth sense. You can sense, um, like, if you're near a microwave that turns on, you can feel it. 
Um, if you're, I mean, to, to have things stick to you the first few times is very weird. Um, <laughs> the fun thing is, is we're Canadian and our change is Ferris. Yeah. So you put your hand in your pocket, you come out with your fingers just covered in loose change. That's hilarious. <laughs> so what happens when you have to get an MRI? Right, that's what everybody right. asks. Don't know. Um, I well, just, it's it's it, quick it, to get out though. Yeah, stop, I mean, boom, pop, like you'd have to tell that a doctor. That would be better than having an MRI rip it out probably. <laughs> right, but I wonder if it would. I mean, I wonder... Uh, maybe? I mean, it certainly wouldn't be good. And I guess you'd have to tell the doctor and be like, there's um, magnet, and they would have to remove it as though, like the way they would move, remove any foreign object in your body. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're easy to put in, they're easy to take out. I know people who've had them taken out. And, yeah. Well, Ryan used to have an implant on the back of his hand. Right. I had a, another, like you see those scars here? Yeah. So I had a quarter, or what looked like a quarter, implanted underneath the back of my hand. So I would, when I was doing walk around magic or meeting people, I would borrow a coin and then rub it into the back of my hand using like do either like a sleeve it or a raven vanish or whatever and sure. then then they can actually feel it under my skin. Yeah. And actually touch it. And I got bored of it and took it out. Did so, you take it out by yourself? No. No. I had no. A, I had we actually did it as a video. Yeah, if you go online and you look up I don't even know what to call it, but if you go to um, on our YouTube page uh, just look up Ryan Stock, you'll find uh, me doing the trick where I have a girl sign quarter, I put it under my hand, she can feel that it's there, and then I have a body modification expert, uh, Russ Fox, actually, glove up, and scalpel it out the signed quarter, reach in with hemostats, for real, and pull out the signed quarter and hand it to the girl. She's pretty cool looking, actually. <laughs> Most extreme magic. And not, not magic. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, it's not fake skin, it's not fake blood, like, and you can tell in the video, I mean, it's very much like pulling pulling a quarter out from underneath the skin of my hand. <laughs> and neat. Very neat. I'm sorry, I'm not more, I'm just, I'm just... Puking. Mm. No, it's just more like, I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted, at one point, we were trying to come up with um, just permanent magic tricks, what kind of body modifications, tattoos, piercings, implants, can you incorporate and then turn into magic tricks that are like not only on you at all times, I mean, in you, in you, yeah. on you, part of you, but <laughs> also good. How do you then, yeah. like, if you were going to do that, mm -hmm. if you were going to implant something into your body, mm -hmm. how do you make that into a good magic trick that surpasses? Oh, it's now it's just inside your body, right? Your body. Right, and that's the thing. What we wanted. I mean, there's so many different things. I mean, you can get. Uh, Magnus implanted, you can get lights that glow underneath your skin implanted now. LED lights. <laughs> it's like the new D-Light finale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually. You huh. can do all these cool things. So, I mean, the, the ability to just, yeah, to give yourself real superpowers. I mean, that's the thing about these magnets, too. I mean, they weren't designed for magicians, but when magicians see them, they want them. I mean, the reason a lot of us became magicians is because we wanted a superpower, cool right? Stuff. We want to be able to do cool things. Yeah. So... That's the great thing about this too is that you can do um, a lot of the effects on the market that require like a PK ring. Oh, you should without, micro psychic. Oh, is, is. We, that's one of our favorite things to do going into magic shops. And I'm a girl, so most magicians don't think I know magic. So I get a wait. You know? No, I'm just kidding. That's oh, awful. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, no, it's please continue. We, we enjoy messing with them. So yeah, of course. They they go show me micro psychic, and they're like, oh, and then this. Look at this. And I'm like, oh, can I see it? And they're like. Yeah, here. And I pick it up and it goes and they're like No PK ring, no. No PK ring, nothing on and they're like, That one's broken, I gotta 
So you just like completely mess with them and it's, it's quite funny. And like marketed tricks works and then you can also do like impromptu chop cup routine with yeah. a napkin, styrofoam cup, and an extra magnet. Yeah. yeah. Since you brought it up, what's it like being a lady magician slash person in this horrible world? <laughs> uh, uh, it can be frustrating. Yeah, um, tell me everything. <laughs> everything. Um, Seriously. At first, at first. Because like people are listening to this and then you know. <laughs> at first, uh, you're not taken seriously. Right? Yeah. Um, immediately, you're the assistant. You're the the pretty face that jumps in and out of boxes. And I, I did that time. I did that when I was 15. Um, and progressed past that. Um, luckily, I feel I, I'm respected more for my magic brain than my looks in this industry, but it took a long time to, to get to that point. I'm hired as a consultant on my own, which I never thought would happen. No. Moved to Vegas, and now that, that is the thing that's happening. Uh, people like my ideas. They like uh, what I come up with, and they actually listen when I talk, which is actually great. That is actually great. That's also something a man has never said. <laughs> True. Right? Yeah. That's so fucked up. <laughs> no, and I, and I have a rule, though. Like, I, I don't do magic for magicians. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm either a little tipsy or... Yeah, um, me too. Right. Me too. Same. Same. Don't do magic for magicians unless I get a couple too few in me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like uh, our friend Bizarro. We hung out with him for months and months and months before I would do anything, and he would always bug me, do a magic trick, do a magic trick. I'm like, no. Do a French drop. Just yeah, do, do a French drop. Do it. <laughs> and it would just, a little weird. You just do a French drop for me, baby. <laughs> do it. Um, but, yeah. well, like, I do uh, Daryl's uh, Hot Shot. Yeah. And I think the first time, it was after Wonderground, the after party, and where magicians flooded the place, all you could smell was magician. And they were all playing with cards, and I just picked up a deck and did hot chop, just myself. Yeah. And Jeff McBride from across the room is like, did you just, but you're a girl. And I'm like, that doesn't make a difference. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, people are surprised. Yeah. Some things, but. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, when we're hired as consultants, at first, you know, they'd hire me as a consultant, Amber would come, and then they'd realize, like, once she's there, oh, wait, the oh, wait, she's got, she's got ideas, too, like, like, okay, like, and that's the thing, people don't think she's going to have ideas, they just make assumptions, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's very few, like, if you look at the consultant industry for the magic community, who are female consultants? Yeah. You have Lisa Della Vega. Mm -hmm. Is me? that it? <laughs> Is that it? Who else? I have no idea. <laughs> What's the last marketed effect that's been put out by a woman? Is there one? <laughs> there are. There are a few. Um, you should I, know this. I didn't say good. Um, but yeah, there are a few. Uh, and right now I'm working on a routine that I wrote for Justin Florham. Uh, and I'm going to be Abby releasing that as well. Abby does yeah, her Abby bubble does. Bit, right? Mm -hmm. That's not does. her marketed effect though, is it? I think so. Oh. I should find that out. I should know this. I'm not putting <laughs> that expectation on you. Um, <laughs> I run a magic company. I should probably know. But here we are. But I, that's a, like... It's a shame. It's genuinely a shame, and I think it's holding magic back colossally. You know, that's one of the main reasons I think magic isn't taken seriously as an art form. Is that it's male dominated? Yeah. There's um, luckily there is more and more female magicians that are breaking into the market, but 
it's really difficult. You either have the pretty girl that is apparently slept her way to the top, because that's what is assumed, yeah. or you have the androgynous female who can pass as a boy. Yeah. Mm, comedy world, too. Yeah, comedy that. as well. Yeah, absolutely. But even still, I mean, of course, I guess there's a lot more comedians than there are magicians. That's not true. Really? I would not say that. I would say there's more magicians than comedians. Uh, I think that depends on how you define magician. <laughs> I think that would depend on what you define as comedian, too. I think there are more working comedians than there are working magicians. What about hobbyists? Pro-ams? Are there hobbyist comedians? I mean, yeah. In sense of there are people who are funny. Yeah. Yeah. There are people who only, I mean, I guess go to the... Amateur open mics. Night, open mics and stuff, and that's it. I guess that would yeah. be... Is that an amateur comedian? I don't know. Are they hobbyists? Like, hobbyist, a hobbyist comedian? I guess. Well, even so, you look at comedy, there's way more female comedians than there are female magicians. Yeah, it seems absolutely. to be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems to be. But again, it's... Like Amber said, you've still got this... If, if they Mindset. become successful, though, I mean, you see 90% of successful female comedians are very... Uh, androgynous or masculine or sexualized yeah yeah I mean you don't really see a, a good-looking girl be a successful comedian Very Sarah funny. Silverman Sarah Silverman who hates magic by the way <laughs> what you didn't know that I did not know that she like actively hates magic I'm so of course she does she grew up, so many comedians do I mean comedians grow up and working in comedy clubs pretty much always hate the variety act I mean it's a it's a funny thing. I mean, they're always like, you know, talk down on the on the variety acts. And that's, yeah, that's the way it is. And at the same time, it's like like they can talk down on the variety act, but I mean, those guys own juggling clubs. that have seen more countries than yeah, they yeah, have. yeah, like, yeah. It's a weird dichotomy. The the fact that I don't know. Do you think it's like it's perceived as getting easy reactions? Like, you've practiced and you can do this skill that inherently, let's say, builds tension in an audience. Mm -hmm. Like, you, like if you did Blockhead, mm -hmm. a, uh, a comedian would look at that, or even a magician would look at that and go, well, that's cheating. Like, you're doing something people find makes them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, there is no cheating. A I lot of comedians think prop comedy is cheating. Oh, oh yeah. Or, or music comedy. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or they think it's a, like... Oh, what you do is a crutch. Why don't you just do comedy? It's not a crutch. It's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not it's not an extra thing on. It is what I do. It's that's yeah. the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think probably that's coming because like alt comedy is certainly much more popular now than it was in the eighties. Mm -hmm. Let's say you know. And so I think that that appreciation of just other artistic means of expression through comedy. Like Bo Burnham's new special, Make Happy. It's mm -hmm. great. It's a masterpiece. Oh, I love that that closing... That, oh. uh, yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's like a handful of jokes mm -hmm. right. know, that are just him standing there talking into the microphone. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's becoming much more... It's coming, it's coming accepted. back. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think probably comedy magic see a boom. Yeah, I think it's going to come sort. back. Like, if you look at the back, back in the days of, like, Kozak and Amazing Jonathan, uh, that kind of 
entertainer. They did when they were all magic comedy magic shows. Harry Anderson. Harry Anderson yeah. in comedy clubs, and that was a staple in the comedy clubs at that time. Yeah. And then it went away. Well, the same club. time, yeah. Comedy and magic clubs. I mean, yeah. like, you know. Yes. Yeah. And then it went really straight, nice. strictly comedy. Like, even Carrot Top went to his own show here, and then prop comedy wasn't a big thing. Yeah. Straight comedy, and now it's starting to seep back in, which I think is a good thing. Sure, yeah. I like the whole blending and, and um, the emulsification of an expression. Mm-hmm. And not being judged for doing different types of entertainment. Being instead. accepted, and yeah, yeah, definitely not being judged. Can but I yeah. just do my art? And if yeah. you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Like obviously, comedy is one of the the more guarded things in uh, human emotion. People feel self conscious about what makes them laugh. So. Yeah. Or horny. Or horny. It's true. Right. That's why you <laughs> use incognito mode. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you don't want to be caught watching a weird prop magic. No. <laughs> Is there magic not for, I guess, mentalism? Some of it. Well, a lot of mentalism, people, I think, walk away with saying, that uh, magician with no props is boring. <laughs> I had this envelope, so I'm not sure. And we love, like, I love mentalism. And of course, we're not throwing right. anybody. Well, Ryan's brain works in mentalism. He releases mentalism. Three tricks through penguin magic, and they're all mentalism effects. So. He doesn't so perform I it. Love mentalism. <laughs> Buy them. <laughs> yeah. It's not something we perform, but something we love. Yeah. Don't do magic for serious. I know it. Let's get back to that. <laughs> did you do a trick for her? Yeah, I did a bunch of tricks for her. Oh. <laughs> it was awesome. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see. Oh, let's talk about AGT. Sure. I don't understand this. Explain to me why daggum foreigners are allowed into our country and then they perform on America's Got Talent. Well, not, only, not only are we allowed okay, to, first of all, they call... Us. Ten years. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me just uh, clarify. That was said in a in a jokey joke just now. <laughs> uh, you don't want to offend the Canadians. I Come love on. all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, continue. So um, it's America's Got Talent, not Americans Have Talent. Ooh, look at you. You won. You beat me just now. That was it. That's all I needed. Now I, I totally agree, and that's what I'm going to say to people from now on. We live okay. in America. Uh, yep. We have valid work visas. We're here legally. I haven't seen it, so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you later. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, seriously. Yeah, Go so, ahead and tell me so that's, I mean, that's, and they, they've been trying to get a hold of us for, for 10 years, I and mean, since they've been out, they always. Phone us up, one producer or another will phone us up every year and go, you want to come audition? Yeah. They go, sure, we just need a flight and accommodation and a per diem. And they go, we don't do that for the auditions. I'm like, sorry. Talk to you next year. And then that happened over and over. And this time, when the auditions came up, they were right down the street. So it's like, all right, this time when they call, do you want to audition? Yes. Yes. So we went down, auditioned for it, and... uh, yeah, obviously made it through. We made it all the way to the quarterfinals on it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, and you know, like a lot of people, like the articles that are being written are saying like, oh, made it to the quarterfinals, but didn't make it through because of the arrow incident. Which I mean, everybody was talking about the arrow incident. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Amberlynn shot me in the neck with a flaming arrow accidentally on stage, and 
I don't think that's why we didn't go through to the semifinals. Accidentally, in air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually an accident. No, I, I, but I don't think that's why we didn't, didn't make it through the semifinals. I think, I mean, I don't think we were going to make it through anyhow. So it was the best case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what happened? Um, it so, was the worst thing ever. Yes. I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't mean what happened, like, why did the sun fail? I mean, what happened afterwards? So, um, so this is live television. Yeah. This is, uh, what is it? I don't even know how many millions of viewers. 12 million. 12 million viewers. Uh, live TV. I mean, the stunt goes wrong. I get shot in the neck. Um, all we want to do is we want to go review through the footage, footage, review the footage, figure out what happened. Uh, yeah. Just kind of assess the situation, figure what we need to do. How do we, do we need to spin this? What do we... <laughs> what do we need to do? I mean, this is... Are we screwed for our whole career? This is like... Yeah. For, for, what's going through your brain at that this, exact moment? Worst, worst sure. thing that's ever happened. And, and I mean, we're, we finish the judging segment. We go backstage. You're fine, by the way. Let's I'm just go ahead fine. and say I'm fine. I'm burnt in the neck. Um, they got medics there. They got an ambulance there. They want, they're demanding I get into an ambulance and I go to the hospital. They have a psychiatrist there trying to talk to me. So, Amber's oh, crying. Wow. There's a psychiatrist. They're yeah. trying to... Turn this into this big thing. Figure out why she tried to murder you. On yeah, they, at least talk to her about is she upset that she shot me? And it's like, yeah. uh, she shot me with a lot of things. Get up, <laughs> stop. That's not the issue. The issue is not that she shot me. Yeah. And, and like, oh, I'm saying, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm, I know if I'm hurt, this is what I do for a living. Um, I'm a professional, you guess. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. and we're, for, for, I mean, for the first half hour, I mean, this is the worst thing. Well, it was, it was actually talked about beforehand, like, what are the worst case scenarios of doing this stunt on there? Because we typically don't perform new stunts in our show, on TV, anything, but we really want to about the game. And yeah. also a lot so of it's like, I could shoot him and kill him. That's the worst, clearly. Yeah. I could shoot him and maim him. Maim him. Or like not that would be slightly less bad. Yeah, slightly less Missed bad. Completely would Missed be completely would be worse than what happened. Yeah, then that's like boring and yeah, <laughs> and it screwed up. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was actually the worst thing for about a half an hour, and then we were not able to get the footage right away from the production company. They said you have to go down to the red carpet. Yeah. Now. So we're like maybe somebody put it online. Yeah. So let's try and find the footage. Yeah. We go in. We write. America's Got Talent, Rhinestock, Bling, TMZ, top thing, and we're like... Access Hollywood, TMZ, uh, e, e, Inside like, Edition, every, 20 minutes trending. after. Yeah. 20 minutes after. Yeah. We were trending Hashtag over... Hashtag Arrow to the Net. Like, yeah. <laughs> we were trending over um, Pokemon Go at for, that time. Which for was a few right moments, we trending over Pokemon Go. That's rad. We were trending over the Olympics during... Like the Olympics for for a minute. Like, that should I mean, be in your byline forever. <laughs> over Pokemon Go and the Olympics. Yeah. Um, it became so we went. Okay, wait. This we're looking at it on the phone. We watched the footage. We go. Okay, so I ever didn't screw up. The the laser sight was on target. Something went wrong. We still don't have a chance to check our equipment. But maybe this isn't the worst thing because this is already big and it's yeah. only been twenty minutes. So, and technically, we've had the most media pop culture hit out of anybody in America's Got Talent in the history, we went global within minutes. And so yeah. at that point, we still didn't know. 20 minutes after, we were like, oh, we can still, we can spin this, we can spin this, it's fine, it's fine. And they go, we have to go down to the red carpet. So we're the last ones to arrive because of all the... Uh, hoopla. Hoopla. And um, there's all these screens and everybody's getting interviewed down a red carpet like you've seen before. All the other acts. All the other yeah. acts are getting interviewed. And we're stopping to wait for our turn and we start to listen. 
Yeah. And we're listening to the other act's answers. I don't know. I couldn't really see. I think it was an arrow to his neck. So all the uh, other acts are talking about you guys. Right, because that's what the media is asking. Yeah. That's all they're asking about. And so then we get to do our last thing. And so we, um, you know, just sucked it up, did the interviews. Still like, uh, you know, still not a good thing. Still not happy about it, but realizing it's, it's better. So we're like, let's just go to the hotel room. Let's open a bottle of wine. <laughs> Drink our pain away. Just get rid of it. And then we get, yeah, we get to the hotel room and emails, phone calls, phone starts ringing, ringing, ringing. This is TMZ. Uh, can you come to our studios, do an interview? This is Access Hollywood. This is this person. Boom, boom. No, we can't because we're still on America's Got Talent. No, but when they kick us off the show tomorrow, uh, we'll be happy to phone you back. Yeah. And and so just collecting all the, um, all the numbers and everything and then. Yeah, so then for the two weeks after that, it was just straight insanity. Dozen interviews a day for weeks. two weeks. I mean, craziness. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, is we, within a week of the incident, I'm doing air quotations, the incident. Thank you for notations. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see that. Um, we had a contract for our own show in Vegas. Six which, days. Yes, that yeah, six, six days, days from incident... To in contract. the room that you wanted. Yes. Yep. yep. Um, so listeners, get on live television, yep. shoot yourself in the neck, yep. or have your significant other. You have your significant other do it. Yeah. Yep. Or I mean, it doesn't have to be a shot in the neck. I mean, you could torso. Be creative, do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Yeah. But that, that's you. the thing is, you look at all of the people in the show. Yeah. If we would have won America's Got Talent, we would have gotten three shows in Vegas. So that's yeah. what you get when you win. I mean, say you get your own Vegas show. Well, you get three shows in the America's Got Talent show. I mean, you can get your own Vegas show. I mean, it can evolve out of that. Yeah, I mean, like Matt Franco's guy. That's not that's not his prize. No. He did, he's doing that. I mean, Paul Zerden uh, had his own show. He's already it's already closed. It's already closed. Um, um, also, you have a lot of contractual stuff where it. If you look at it, a lot of the winners have had to wait a year before they can open their show. Mm. That's what's crazy. It's, it's, it, it does take a year. It takes like it took Matt Franco over a year. It took yeah. Paul Zerbin over a year. It took like before the show opened. Ours opened the night AGT finale air. No, it's, it's the night after. So like yeah. one, then the next. Like so, it worked out better. I mean, it's a shortcut. <laughs> so it worked out for the best for us, and we got a lot of coverage out of it. And he's not dead. I'm not a millionaire. Right. We're good. Yet for either of those. Right. Good luck insurance policy. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. <laughs> but that's the thing. Only life insurance. If he dies, I'm rich. If he gets maimed, nothing. No. Well, then you just have to kill him. Right. Yeah. Let's not yeah. discuss the conspiracy to commit insurance fraud on the podcast. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. We'll talk about that later. We'll take that out. Um... Guinness Records? Guinness Records. Um, Specifically Guinness or World Records in general? There are a lot of companies. Everybody says rec- records. They think Guinness Records, but there's, I mean, there's... You're records, educating me right now. There's Record Setter. There's uh, Alternative Book of Records. There's uh, Assist Assist. World Records. There's, um, there's, there's about 10. <laughs> a bunch of them. So, right. um, so, but Guinness Records. Um, I hold several of them, but... Uh, World Records in general, yeah. he holds 30-ish. 
ish. Um, Guinness. I don't care about Guinness. Yeah. I just that was what I saw on the thing. Yeah. All right. Um, well, what, just a couple. Your favorites. Favorite. So, well, favorite thing to do with Guinness World Records is I uh, get hired to do them from Guinness themselves. I mean, oh, that's it's cool. great to uh, get a phone call or an email and they go, "Okay, can we saw that you put a hook through your face and lifted weight." You think you can pull a car with it? And I go, yeah. let me point you back. And then I'll go, I'll try and get back to them. Yes, I can. And they go, great. Would you be willing to come out to Italy this For weekend week. and, and pull a car and then set a world record, which is super fun to be able to do things like that. Ooh, we're going to bring you out to Turkey and come out to hang out in Istanbul for a week with us. And they pay you and they, you go out, you get a Guinness World Record, you make money, you get a trip. I mean, it's, uh, it's awesome. It's a great thing to do. That's right. <laughs> and some, some of the records are great. Some of them are a little weird. Yeah. Um. So, favorite, I mean, heaviest vehicle pulled with a hook in my nose out of my mouth. I mean, that's, I mean, the human meathead is um, an original effect of mine. It's basically, it's blockhead meets mental floss. I came up with it in 2000. With a rigid object. It's a giant hook that goes in my nose, it comes out my mouth, and then um, I lift weight, hang myself from it, or pull cars. I've got a world record for pulling cars. Um, with swallowed sword too. Heaviest vehicle pulled from a swallowed sword is the first Guinness World Record I ever got. How do you do that? So it goes. Um, I'm I'm leaning forward. The car's behind me, and then the straps oh, are attached okay. to the handle. So you're keeping it from bending your neck. You got to keep everything yeah, yeah. stiff. Um, I so, was thinking the other way around. Like right. you were like contracting your throat <laughs> muscles. Right, yeah. What? This is amazing. <laughs> I came up with that idea. Um, I still have the record for other pe uh, people. Uh, I've been trying to do it, but it was just a strange idea I had. I pitched it when we were doing our TV series Guinea Pig, and uh, we actually, uh, 2008, we filmed it here in Las Vegas. That was yeah. long before we we moved here. That, that's yeah. the first record that caused uh, an obsession in Ryan. Uh, just getting records. Which is getting records. records. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. I think the funniest one is uh, most blowtorches extinguished on the tongue, which did not invent that, that world record. It was a standing world record and Ryan doubled it. Yeah, it's funny when people go like, how did you come up with that? I didn't, I took it from someone. <laughs> I just did it better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or more. And took it from a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. Ooh, good. Yeah. Right. Eat it, friend. I've taken a couple of my friend's records and they've taken them back. Yeah, I was gonna say, is there like a, like a rivalry? Yeah, it's, a it's a fun thing though. Yeah, it's a fun thing. And yeah, of course, also, sure. And also, I mean, it doesn't you're really doing matter. an utterly meaningless task for a world record. Of course it's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, a lot of these people spend money to do them and they put a lot of work into it. I prefer if I'm going to do a world record, it's for a job or for a charity or for publicity or for, I mean, for purpose behind it rather than just being like, Collectors. I just want it. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, Hence the reason we have 15 world records that he's approved to go for but haven't gone for them yet. Waiting for the right event. Ah, so this is a game of chess. Yes, there'll be some soon. Uh, we'll be doing some for some publicity on the new show. Uh, we wanted to, I mean, working with Hooters, we want to do something with Hooters girls, like, you know, put them in a Hooters vehicle and all over, pull it with my ears or something like that, you know, um, as one does. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> pull the vehicles for years. How? <laughs> No, I know, like, the logistics of it, but I mean, like, how, how I don't understand how your ears don't rip off. Well, uh, it's, uh, what doctors tell people, it takes seven pounds of pressure to rip off the human ear. Yeah. It doesn't. It clearly doesn't, because, I, I mean, I can lift up, uh, 
I mean, I've lifted 80, 90 pounds with my ears, maybe more. I pulled my minivan several times just for fun. <laughs> How many world records have you unofficially broken just for fun? Oh, you don't have a certificate, but like, you're like, I know I did that more times. Oh, I mean, that's uncountable. Uncountable because we used to do a, a segment in the show before I was actually legitimately setting records. I'd bring a Guinness Book of World Records and then I would have people. Like, pick hey, what's the, not pick one, but this is, what's the, this, this is the world record for the fastest time to inflate a hot water bottle until it explodes. And people are like, oh, at that time it was like two minutes. And then I would, would get a timer and I'd break that world record live on stage. So not officially, but, but yeah, or what's, read this record. What's the heaviest weight lifted from here? It's 35 pounds. Boom. We, we break that. It's fucking so, rad. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do on stage. I mean, yeah. it's a cool moment. And I mean, of course, I mean, people... Get an opportunity to see a record broken doesn't mean you're the official record holder for that record, but yeah. you're still seeing a record get broken, as useless and silly as that record may be. <laughs> yeah, there's a, an arbitrary value associated with it that yeah. you get to play with. It's that built-in tension thing again. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like, oh, that makes me feel weird. It's like, oh, I assigned this meaning to this thing, and he just <laughs> beat it. That's so cool. Uh, what are some of your comedy influences, both of you guys? Oh, amazing Jonathan. Always amazing Jonathan. Uh, great. Uh, Harry Anderson. Um, um, always love Matt King. Yeah. Penn and Keller, of course. Yeah, um, yeah I'd say... Actually, straight-up comedians, too, there are. Yeah, I'd say amazing Jonathan's the biggest one. I mean, that's what I grew up with watching. I mean, I mean, I grew up, I'm 35, I grew up watching the world's greatest magic specials, the world's wildest magic, those kind of things. And, I mean, it was amazing Jonathan. It was like, the comedy magic act and lucky enough to uh to end up being good friends with him and that's the weirdest thing ever and, right uh, yeah so one of your biggest influences growing up and now we you know now we host it for him watch his uh daughter when he's out of town you know it's like yeah, very it's, strange it's really weird first time we met him too um went to his show and we're like oh that's a good thing Jonathan and he's like why don't you do our Halloween party. We're like, okay. And then it just got weirder and more closer and closer. It's like, it's really weird when one of your largest influences, you're at his house and he just wanders out in his underwear and, uh, <laughs> and a house coat. And you're like, this is great. Well, we're like family now. Well, one of the strangest things, actually, um, so two big influences on our show. I mean, Jim Rose, Jim Rose Circus, uh, Grew up like watching that when he was touring with you know, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, doing the the sideshow thing. Um, I ended up working for Jim, becoming good friends with him, touring with him, and that's who introduced us to Amazing Jonathan originally. And so those my two big influences in my show are Amazing Jonathan, Jim Rose, and I mean there was a point in time this is uh, years ago. I have the realization it's Christmas. I'm decorating the Christmas tree with Jonathan and Jim Rose, and I'm going. This is actually kind of weird. <laughs> like that that's what happens. This they go from being your influences to oh friends. we're spending Christmas together. We're we're decorating the tree. Yeah. You know, kinda of weird. Was it like regular decorations or Yeah. Yeah, I except mean, for we weren't decorating regularly. Mostly it was Jim and and uh, Amazing Jonathan just sitting back and throwing Christmas balls at the tree stuff. And it's not a small Christmas tree. This is like a 11-foot Christmas tree. Taller than that. Taller than that. Yeah, it's right. The vault ceilings, and it's at the very top. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. 
But yeah, definitely, definitely biggest comedy influence is Jonathan. There's like, the mic is like barely picking up any of it. Good. Good, good. So we have to start over. No. Well, what else? What's next? What else are you doing? What's next? It's all, uh, it's all Hooters right now. This is, this is what's next. Hooters, getting our show dialed in. We've got to, I mean, we're, we're new to this. We're not even in the ticket brokers yet. We've got to learn how does one sell tickets in Vegas? We're lucky we've got uh, producers who uh, have a long career in Vegas selling shows. They have uh, seven shows now with us. They produce Pets the Magic Dragon. They produce uh, X Comedy, X Country, X Burlesque. X Rocks. X Rocks. Uh, us. us. Uh, so, I mean, we're lucky in that sense. They've got producers who already have a relationship with ticket brokers. They already know the game very well. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we still have to learn. We need to learn how to sell tickets, how to get people in the room, how to get asses in the seats. And, uh, and so that's what it's about right now. I mean, developing the show, making it... A good product. A good product, make the show Vegas, make it fit the room, make it work, and then get people in there. That's, yeah. that's 100% what's happening right now. I don't think there's any other focus right now. No, we're very hands-on with this, too. We don't want to sit back and just let the producers do that. We want to learn how to do this and... Make sure that we're in the know for it too. Yeah. And marketing. I love marketing, so <laughs> what is so yeah, what are your what are you guys' interests and passions outside of the show? I don't I don't have an Amber's a photographer and stuff. I'm clothing designer. Um, magic I guess would be interest and passion outside of performing because well, they performing. are different yeah. from each other. I don't perform magic anymore. I, I design it, I come up with ideas, I write stuff, but uh, I don't perform, perform it. So that's Kind of the, the hobby now. Yeah. Um, Entertainment is Ryan's entire life. The, the morning, night, all day, all night. That's all his brain does. Yeah, Amber got a lot more designing clothes, photography, you know, taking pictures Still of hard. naked ladies. That's yeah, it's fun. <laughs> naked ladies and magicians. That's in my portfolio. There we go. <laughs> I like when they're in the same picture. Like all of your pictures with Nick are yeah. some of my favorite things ever. <laughs> like I was laughing about it on the way over here. <laughs> yeah, I'll, the, the, the road one. Yeah. yeah, we've done the, the same thing too. So, uh, we'll do ones with like, I mean, it's just fun to have the opportunity to you put if you can put hot naked girls in a photo, and then uh, that always helps. Everybody it? likes them, like yeah. everybody. Like there's a phone picture solving a Rubik's cube, surrounded by topless girls. I mean, makes <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. Well, how else do you solve a Rubik's cube? I've never solved it any other way than that. Right. Right. I mean. So everyone does it, I'm pretty sure. What you yeah. have? The ball one? Oh, maybe. That's a pretty funny one. The which one? Oh. Let's see see if you can pull it up. I'm looking. Oh, you don't even have it. I'm so disappointed in him right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, we try to incorporate anything like that, any kind of. Uh, oh, here's another one. So swallowing the sword with a bunch of girls all flashing at the same time. You know, create interesting photos. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. Amber does it. All the photography for that stuff. I love it. I love Why? photography. How'd you get into it? Um, I did a little bit of modeling and uh, I did assistant stuff with a photographer friend of mine, Renee Robin. Uh -huh. She is unbelievable. And then it just turned into like me getting a little more information and getting really interested in it. And then went from being in front of the camera to being behind the camera. Uh, my first camera I got... Uh, I photographed a, a exotic dancer in exchange for, for a camera. 
and then just loved it. So I just kept doing it. Yeah. Self-taught, just keep learning, keep coming up with weird ideas. And yeah, that's the biggest thing. If you're going to shoot, like, I mean, magicians, to have joking aside, they don't have to have naked ladies in photos, but no. interesting photos. I mean, how many more magicians need a shot of them holding a fan of cards or holding their fingers out at the camera? Like, okay, we get it. Like, let's try to take some interesting images instead. Yeah. Something a little more memorable and creative. Like, I like doing really weird portraits of people. Just weird. And then if you look at the promo picture she's done for Nick Fott, or if you look at the stuff she's done, Greg Dow one that she did, or like um, uh, Bizarro even, like stuff like that. They're Yourself, interesting even. ones. That, yeah, my promo stuff, it's interesting photos instead of just that same thing. That's it. Yeah. That's Something that stands me. out. Yeah. Well, and it's important to contextualize like what that performer is. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's kind of like writing for that performer. You have to understand their character mm-hmm. and their voice so that you can then communicate that person through the image, right? Well, exactly. You want to communicate the, the feel of their show. You don't necessarily have to use props from their show, but you have to put, um, put across a feeling. Put across on their back. <laughs> Maybe. No, no you're right. But with Nick, you want comedy, you want awkward, and magician. Yeah. So, how do you, you do that? just take a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and then what is, what's Ryan's, and how do you capture that? Uh, comedy, danger. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we've done things, um... I would say no, no, no. I, look, the people listening can't see it. They can't Just see right. it. talk about it. I'm trying to find an idea. Um, we did a, a photo shoot where we had a giant hoop. Uh, it was a lira for aerial stuff, and we uh-huh. wicked the entire thing, set it on fire, put Ryan on a mini bike, jumping through the the fire hoop. Right, so you had a little clown bike, flaming hoop. I mean, Comedies, you get it. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that's the kind of thing. I mean. The stuff we're doing right now, I mean, it'll just be an idea, like a recent one. We'll be like talking about juggling dangerous objects, and I'll go, "You know what? I've never seen cactus juggling. Why does anybody juggle cactuses?" And like, and then so we're like on our way home from somewhere and stop at Home Depot and buy three cactuses, and, then, and that's how you then get there's a photo shoot. Then it's uh, then you, oh, you're me juggling cacti, and it's and right now we're trying to go for kind of a weird, weird feel of doing. Bizarre photos like Ryan um, crying uh, with tape over his nipples and face, and just <laughs> I think I saw that one. I liked it a lot. Right. It, yeah. It's actually see. I'll, see, I'll find a photo of like I think that one I found it was um like an anti slut shaming kind of campaign. Yeah. And it's a crying girl with slut written on tape on her mouth. So we did it with freak written on the tape and the mascara pouring down and just kind yeah. of take these ideas and. Reappropriate them. Yeah. I, I would like to point out Ryan did his own makeup for that photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Did you also for real cry it off? Yeah. No, I just sprayed the uh, uh, contact solution in my eyes. Awesome. Yeah. You got to commit. I know. Really- <laughs> sure. Sure. So that's what the photo was lacking. Mm-hmm. Where you see the the lollipop one, you committed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll post links to all the pictures. There'll be a Dropbox it's folder just, where you can see It's just on our, our Facebook page. All the weird things. But. Yeah, well, so do you guys... Ideas. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, submissions. Submissions. How do people get in touch with you or follow you or... Best is Facebook, I think. Instagram, I mean, I'm starting to get better with my Instagram, but probably Facebook, so just like uh, Ryan Stock on Facebook or 
uh, facebook.com slash comedy daredevil. I mean, both go to the same place. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. what about your clothing and photography? And um, no. Or not? Okay, whatever. Uh, ju- well, just... Fuck it, who cares? Amberlynn Walker. <laughs> Amberlynn Walker, okay. Amberlynn, one word, L-Y-N-N, uh, Walker. Um, that's me on Facebook. I don't, I just... And the clothing line is Ether Out. <laughs> it's true, it is. It's Ether Out. <laughs> I haven't been able to do a lot of clothes lately, but... That, I'll get it on it. <laughs> a little preoccupied right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're busy. Right. <laughs> with, with a successful Las Vegas show. But she's still, but look, look, you look behind you, she's making a dress out of plastic and stuff. Gar- right? yeah, yeah, that's I'm garbage. Busy, but Did you make a, a kimono? No, no. <laughs> that was actually just my kimono that was given to me, and Nick stole it. <laughs> Looks better on him. Though. It does. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Thank no you problem. so much. I don't. What? Is there anything else you want to... No, I'm just awkward dancing. I can't see that. Oh, okay. Imagine it. We'll make a GIF. A GIF. GIF or GIF? Am I one of those people? I, I never know how to say it. I get judged. It's supposed to be GIF, but I think people have already decided it was GIF. I think that's... I think the guy who decided that said it's a GIF, but well, The decision like, no. was made already. We've all seen... We'll GIF make it into an long. internet may-may, and you guys... <laughs> <laughs> we actually know a guy who called it may-mays. What do you mean? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.